Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. My name's Catherine Carr, and this is Relatively, the podcast all about potentially the longest relationships of your life. There's that family thing where it's like, no judgment. <laughs> <laughs> so, haha, I can tell you this terrible <laughs> thing I did and you can't judge me. I'll be bringing siblings together to talk about the connections they have as adults, as well as what it was like growing up together. In this episode, we're talking to the comedian Ahir Shah. My name is Ahir Shah, and I am Akanksha's younger brother, although I call her Didi, meaning sister, and she calls herself Tash, meaning someone misheard her name on the first day of high school, and we've never been able to get rid of it. My name's Akanksha Shah. Most people know me as Tash, and I am Ahir's big sister. She'd made me this lovely, lovely card, and I opened it up. It was entirely blank, and my mum just looked at my dad and said, You had one job. Oh my god. (laughs) But I'll also talk to them separately to get a more private take on the relationship. What I tend to do is sort of take the role of the person who's like overly concerned because I think my parents are quite chilled about it in that they worry, but not openly. I will always be a baby to her and she will always be this sort of in my head she's taller than me <laughs> and she's not she, she hasn't been for over 15 years probably brothers and sisters are never straightforward the shahs grew up in london attending the primary school where their mother taught their photographer dad was a stay-at-home parent for some of the time and a huge encouragement to both children We talk about that, about worrying about your brother's choice of career, and going to gigs way, way too young. But we began with Ahir's somewhat precocious start as a performer. I was a child of the Jurassic Park era, and Nidhi was very much a child of the Friends era. That was constantly on throughout her teenage years. So when I was a child, it was like, what do you want to be? Paleontologist, obviously. He knew every detail about every dinosaur. Just levels, you know, of information that no one probably needed. And I remember mum had said to him, do you want to come into class, into my reception class, and talk to the kids about dinosaurs? And he was like, yes, of course I will. I mean, he's like seven years old. I don't remember giving it, but I've uh, not been able to forget it in a sense because there is video (laughs) that exists. And uh, God, I was bossy. And he's sitting there (laughs) essentially leading a class of like 30 kids in this lecture about dinosaurs. And it's so boring because he's talking about really boring bits about dinosaurs. (laughs) But do you know what? It it got the job done. And what I was saying was not wrong. (laughs) All of the facts were there. But um, no, very, very bright, but never, you know, luckily we're all close enough to give each other a little tap if anyone's being too smart, if if you know what I mean. (laughs) Um, So you came along eight years after her. Was that an intentional age gap? No, (laughs) no. Wedding anniversary didn't pull out in time. 
Is that genuinely That's the, the truth? Yeah, it's the long and short of it. I overheard uh, my mother talking about it with a friend of hers when I was a very small child and ran to another room in my grandmother's house, weeping my eyes out uh, because I thought that this meant that I was never wanted and everything. Yeah, there is an eight-year age gap, and I cheekily asked her here whether that meant that he was expected slash planned or unexpected slash unplanned, and he told a quite graphic story about finding out how unplanned he was. And I wonder if Tash, oh you God. remember that from an eight-year-old, eight-years-older perspective. Well, we refer very jokingly to Ahir as Ahir the accident. <laughs> of course, we all love him dearly, but he's, it's just well known that he was a complete surprise to um, everybody. But I mean, I'm trying to think, what there's a specific story? The calendar? Oh, there's, a, there's another element to the story. Oh my god. Oh so yeah, bad. on um this is a, 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 my last stand up show. My dad lent me an old phone of his that I could use to play MP3s before tour shows. Uh, it's just an easy way you give it over to the tech guy and be like this is the playlist that I want. And I was handing this phone to a guy in Sheffield and a calendar notification popped up that said today 8 p.m. 1990 are here conceived. Uh, and <laughs> I just handed that over. And so we were both just looking at this thing and I'm like, look, I don't know what to tell you, mate. It's 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 true. I, I don't know uh, where to go. Literally, the only other things that he'd put in that calendar were everyone's birthday, the day he needs to get his MOT done and the date of Steve Jobs' death. Uh, <laughs> these are the only things he needs to remember. <laughs> <laughs> this is when my wife was born this is when my car gets fixed this is when Jobs carked it that's, and, and this is when I was conceived that's all I need to know can you remember then before he came along being the only child oh yes for me I have very very clear memories of no Ahir and then very very clear memories of all of a sudden an Ahir turning up all of the attention from my parents you know um not having to share anything, all those terrible qualities that go with being an only child. But yeah, and then and then Ahir. And so does that mean that when Ahir came along, that was something of a seismic moment? I was so excited to have a little brother. That was an age when there was there were these dolls available on the market that would sort of cry real tears and things like that. And I think it was called Tiny Tears or something like that. And it didn't have a wine <laughs> bottle that magically emptied. I mean, yeah, exactly. You'd feed it and then it would cry and you'd have to change it and it would just, you know, emit fluid, basically. <laughs> I was really keen to have one and obviously was given one for that Christmas. And my brother's birth date is the 28th of December. And so he arrived three days later and it was just like, goodbye doll, hello, <laughs> real life human doll, basically. <laughs> It was always quite nice because we inhabited these different stages throughout, you know, like when I was very young, it was sort of like having a third parental figure there uh, <laughs> who was always very keen to sort of baby me and mother me and uh, look after me in that way. And then when I was getting to be about 10 or what have you, and because this was the 18 year old who was in the house who obviously had the coolest taste in music in the world and everything. Uh, so at the end of primary school, really weirdly into sort of uh, turn of the millennium, teenage angsty rock music. Uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and so did your mum allow you to sort of fully inhabit this little 
maternal role? Were you allowed to kind of tote him around and oh, look after him? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we grew up, you know, with in Indian culture, there are a lot of family members around very, very early. My paternal grandmother actually lived with us at the time. We spent a lot of time with my maternal grandparents. You're always kind of in each other's faces and spaces. And so for me to take control, as much or as little control as I did with Ahir, was just totally fine because it was someone would be doing that if it wasn't my mum anyway, and she was absolutely fine with it being me. We're both quite careful kids. Um, my husband jokes about this quite often, but we, we didn't really have any broken bones. We weren't like massively adventurous in terms of just our, how boisterous we were and mm. so I was really really careful with him just because I probably was always terrified of of sort of hurting him but but in my own sort of eight-year-old way. Now as we're both older it's just like this is like your sister and one of your best mates and people who you get to yeah, share share these elements of your life with and worries with and laughs with. It's wonderful. I, I guess it's sort of quite unusual because normally when siblings are separated by life stage like you are, you know, one's younger, one's off at high school, one's off at university, one's at home with mum and dad, that can be a bit of a death knell to a close sibling relationship. But it doesn't sound like that's the case for you guys. Yeah, perhaps. But I think that it, it was always inevitable, really, that we maintained this closeness because it's something that my mum and dad definitely wouldn't have had any other way. It was always like, oh, get your brother involved in this thing. First ever gig that I went to uh, was something where my sister must have been like 14 or something. I was a bit like six. And <laughs> she was like, I, I want to go see the boy band Five with my friends. It's like, well, take your brother. He's going to. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> damn right I am. I'm the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> and so, I'm just there in Wembley Arena, like a toddler. Being like, well, this is, this is spooky, but okay. So, and some 14-year-old girls could have reacted quite badly to that situation. <laughs> yeah, well, she, it was the only way that she was going to be allowed to go. So that's, uh... <laughs> and was it a funny household then? Where did the, the funnies come from? Um, it was a funny household. We laugh a lot. Yeah, even now. My first exposure to comedy was through my dad. He's a big, big fan of stand-up. And I remember him watching Johnny Carson and things like that on TV. Um, and then I, as a teenager, started to get into Bill Hicks. And and I remember having Ahir come into my room and just like sit and be like, hey, listen to this bit. And he would have been, you know, I mean, eight or nine at the time. The first two proper things of stand-up that I ever saw were both through her. It was Eddie Murphy's Raw, which I was convinced was entirely improvised because I had no idea that you write stand-up down beforehand. So I was like, what the this is This is amazing. He gets in front of all of those people and he's not even scared and he just goes for it and like all of this uh, makes sense. And then after the first time I tried stand-up when I was 15, when I got home afterwards, my sister recommended Bill Hicks to me, who I'd never seen before. And was that something encouraged by your parents too, this kind of viable career choice in the arts? Was that something that they said, yeah? Dad was the one who uh, suggested that I do it in the first place um, because he was always trying to, with both of us, like always trying to get us to do as many extracurricular odd things as possible and just seeing if any of it would stick. Dad asked Ahir whether he would be interested in going to comedy school. Um, mm. There's a comedy school in Camden 
Ahir was doing quite a lot of extracurricular stuff, just like fun stuff. Like he went to this robot school one summer and, you know, to learn about <laughs> robotics and things like that, just because my parents were always really interested in like all the different things we could access in the community. It was always just sort of, do you fancy this? And we were always like, absolutely, that sounds amazing because we were just mm. massive geeks. Um, but, <laughs> but essentially, Ahir then um, signed up to the comedy school at 16. To a certain extent, I guess I got given a bit of free license because I was the younger sibling by that time my sister had already got a degree was establishing herself in a career and so they could just be like oh right one's turned out okay anyway if this teenage (laughs) one wants to give something a go uh, then maybe he could try and then fortunately for me my sister's successes always climbed to ever and ever greater heights Um, so I was able to uh, just faff around for a bit longer Ahir just enjoyed his experience so much that it ended up being, I believe, the reason he chose to go to university at Cambridge so that he could try a part of Footlights, which ended up happening. And then just the minute he finished university, it was like, this is what I'm going to do. So it kind of really all stemmed with my dad, I would say. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And are you still protective of him then? Is that something that's carried on? Yes, I would say so. I get the sense that I'm a little bit too much of a warrior when it comes to Ahir. Ahir is quite um, open about his sort of struggles with mental health and his various crises along along his his life and he's quite open about those things and I think for me what I tend to do is sort of take the role of the person who's like overly concerned because I think my parents um which I think is great my parents are quite chilled about it in that they worry but not openly so I was going to say your brother does stand up he's a comedian Mm. and that's so exposing yeah that could sometimes feel quite excruciating that he's putting himself in that position And especially, I think, because of the types of topics he covers, you know, he isn't a sort of like one liner comedian. He's somebody who is very philosophical in his in his thinking and his delivery. He sometimes the elements of politics that he talks about are so real and can be so painful. It's not just, you know, sort of, oh, can you believe this politician is the foreign secretary? What a joke. It's, you know what what happens to people you know when they are treated very very badly and unfairly by the people that we've put in positions of power and it's you know it's like really digging into a lot of that detail and it can be quite I think overwhelming to talk about that type of thing all the time but again I think ends up being sort of a trigger to force you to consider 
your political context and your surroundings. I think it's a really important trigger for that. Um, and it is often a very emotionally demanding task. And I think that, you know, for me, watching him do that day after day or night after night, you know, for example, if it's if it's Edinburgh, you've got 30 nights, some days you'll have two gigs a day. And depending on the topic he's talking about, I do get a little bit concerned that he's really sort of putting himself through the mill um, mm. by just this constant repetition of things that are difficult. You know, to me, it just seems like the opposite of smart therapy, <laughs> like just constantly <laughs> talking about the same terrible thing that happened this one time. <laughs> you like, move on, move on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I, I, I think to me, it's always like talking about something horrible or talking about mental illness or whatever on stage is to me sort of evidence like, well, if I wasn't okay with this, then I wouldn't be saying it. But obviously, if you're hearing the end of something someone worked through on their own, because at the time, they didn't really know how to talk about it. And you as someone who loves them are hearing that for the first time, then I, I totally appreciate that that is a very difficult thing to hear and something that I have actively tried to get a lot better at in terms of just being honest with her about the way that I'm feeling or things that I'm thinking about, uh, because it's inevitably stuff that ends up coming up through work. Mm. Uh, it's like, I remember at, towards the beginning of this, listening to the Ezra Klein show, where he mentioned the fact that part of what was weird about the pandemic was that it left us with an inability to imagine a future. And that's the definition of depression. And I was like, oh, right. Okay. So the rest of the world's just caught up. But also, like, I think that in large part, when one is in a particular depressive funk, it's very easy to get into a main character syndrome way of thinking. And it's like, well, of course, this could only be happening to me. This last year has just, it's so definitively been the case that the world has been dominated by something that I am absolutely not in the center of. And there's no conceivable way in which I am even remotely close to the most important thing going on right now. Uh, and uh, weirdly, that might have allowed a bit more uh, healthy perspective. Do you recognise that description of Vahir, Tash, when he says he's like main character syndrome? Because that sounds unkind to him to me. It's so, yeah, it's such a funny thing to hear because when someone describes themselves as having that sort of you know, main character syndrome or whatever, you think of them as quite selfish in a sense. And and actually, I don't see that at all. Obviously, you're saying that, you know, depression means that you can't necessarily help that. But I never, I never get the sense, even if we are talking about, um, even if we are talking about something that's upsetting you or something that's happened that you, you want to talk out, I never feel like you think, oh, it's just me this happens to, or I'm the reason. I, I, I don't ever get that sense from you. Hmm. If you were the protective older sister, then what is the role that I hear inhabits in the family? Oh, God, that's a really good question. Oh, do you know what? I know what it is. He is super pragmatic. He's super disciplined. And he's this really interesting character who's, you know, in the sense that he's living out the stream of this career that he wants to sort of forge for himself. And, and that's in a space that's very, you know, tumultuous. Like, look at the situation at the moment. I mean, his industry is has been in a pretty tough place over the last year with COVID. I'm desperate for 
any element of life that I can find a definitive answer to. So much of stuff in terms of career and everything has been so ambiguous and opinion-based, just in terms of if you're deciding what to do in comedy, you're just standing in front of people being like, I reckon this, maybe. (laughs) Uh, And so it's why I'm extraordinarily excited about the fact that I get to do a census soon. (laughs) All of the questions, I bang on know the answer. He sort of brings a sense of like realism to the table sometimes, which mm. I didn't really, I never really thought about it like this, but mum is so positive that she often will sort of live in a bit of a fantasy world of, of like, <laughs> you know, she's just so, everything's great and everything's going to be fine and hooray for this and hooray for that. Dad is definitely living in a dream world and always has. <laughs> um, but we, you know, we at, at the times that that's good, it's so beautiful that you sort of, you're really thankful for it. You know, and I think I, I'm sort of a bit flighty. I, I can definitely be a bit flighty. I feel like Ahir is like the really sensible, pragmatic one, despite the fact that his job is probably <laughs> the, the most, in- yeah, that's quite funny. I never thought about that, actually. But that <laughs> does feel like the role he he brings like dear everybody okay this is how we're going to think about it one two three like okay right got it (laughs) i kind of like being the one who's like right step back let's try and get to the person dispassionately about this i think probably in large part because my sister and father have already grabbed the mantles of the extremely passionate ones uh, and so it definitely it, it definitely needs someone else, otherwise the, the room should burst into flames. <laughs> What's your parents like as a couple? What are they like? They're one of those couples who around one another still habitually seem like teenagers, which is like very odd given that, you know, when they met, it was something like dad was 30 and mum was 23 or something like that. So it's not like they were even teenagers together ever. And yet, when they're around one another, like, quite often, they're surprisingly just, like, giggly and silly. You know, they're now retired and uh, have retained some degree of humour around it all, particularly when, particularly for my mother, a lot of the time things were very difficult and she had to put the family on her back for pretty much all of my childhood. It definitely was a very, very happy childhood. I think this is one of the things that Ahir and I sort of have slightly skewed views on. Um, it, it was a really, really happy household, but not unlike many households. Um, we had financial difficulties, you know, we had our fair share of, you know, worries. And there were moments where that would sort of impact us growing up. And But for the most part, it, it really did didn't feel as though it did we were kind of sheltered from from anything that we needed to be worried about um as much as possible through a combination of to a certain extent bad luck to a certain extent lack of acumen my father just had a few things that didn't really pan out in the way that i'm sure he would have wanted uh, them to for the family sort of in the largely in the 90s early noughties mm-hmm. and um a lot of the way that my sister talks about our experience of growing up and everything. I I think she insulated me from certain elements of it. And I think that that's sort of a a protectiveness that she's always carried with her. Back then, it felt very much like, great, Ahir doesn't need to know about these things because he's little. And I 
don't necessarily want him to know about these things because we'll solve them and then he doesn't need to worry. But now when there's any kind of issue with my parents, I'm like, ah, here, <laughs> we need to deal with this together. I will not handle this by myself. <laughs> that yeah. is a major shift for me. You know, as, as children, you sort of have the carefully curated thing, ideally put in front of you by your parents, and even to a certain extent for me, by Didi, of like, okay, these are the big people and the grown-ups, and they have the answers, and basically their job actually is just to pretend for as long as it takes that I feel safe throughout a period of time where they're <laughs> supposed to be that for me, uh, right? And then you increasingly get to the stage of all right, well, I'm pretty confident that I don't have a fuck what's going on, but these people have somewhere around the same level or in some cases even less of an idea of what's going on. Uh, so might need to take the reins on a few occasions. Like, it's uh, like... It's just like, like little things as well. Like a few months ago, our mother was like to me, oh, I'm going to do a will. How do I do that? And I'm like, well, oh, I, I'm, I don't know. <laughs> like, it's, She's asking what? the youngest person she knows <laughs> how to do a will. Brilliant. Perfect. <laughs> this this might be my desire towards pragmatism. I'm like, well, we're we're in this position now. Things may have been difficult at a time when I was mainly concerned about my plastic train and the Power Rangers. Uh, <laughs> but at the same time, we've moved through it. We've all, like, particularly in the light of the last year, got all of the health that we could conceivably ask for. I, again, with the exception of the last year, am settled in the thing that I've always wanted to be doing. My sister is very settled in this industry that she's really interested in and loves. And my parents are still there in the house that we grew up in and is still the family home and still get to sort of like walk up behind one another, pinch the other and run away giggling. <laughs> uh, and it's like, well, if you've, if you've made it through and at the end of it, that's what you're at then there does seem to be a hell of a lot more to be grateful for than there does to be concerned about or bitter about. Absolutely. It sounds pretty idyllic to me, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I, I read somewhere, um, I hear that you were quite surprised when you got to university. Not everybody had such a lovely relationship with their siblings, sibling, siblings, or family, and that that was quite a surprise. Is that true? Yeah, I think it's just because... in. In some instances, we were very far away from what might, in inverted commas, be the conventional Asian family, given, you know, the fact that, as I've said, it was my dad who was like, why don't you be a stand-up comedian now? And that's not, <laughs> that's not really that common in the community, uh, admittedly. But in certain other areas, um, particularly in terms of the, like, close-knit nature of large extended families I think we definitely were loads of the people who I grew up with at school I was in a very Asian area as Didi was at the same school as well um, because it was just a, quite a common thing that siblings would be very close cousins would be very close and even you know like you call your dad's mates kids your cousins and you don't realize until you're 18 years old that you're not you're not in any way related anyway. to this guy who's a foot taller and six stone heavier than you are. You're like, oh, yeah, it actually makes sense that Dovel and I are not blood cousins. Uh, but you still uh, are expected to look out for one another in that way. 
And the very last question, do you have any family words for things or funny expressions that you have which only your family would understand? Dad very much likes Vadbhain uh, Ajay, uh, which is essentially don't let the word out and everything. And it's whenever he's like planning anything cheeky uh, or anything. So we always like to say that, like if you've just organised a little surprise or something, you get to say like, oh, I've, I've you know, I'm getting this thing for Didi Vadbhain Ajay. Tell everyone that you all feel like you're in this little gang, little club. Um, Didi and I uh, particularly like yelling DNA5 and high-fiving one another if we uh, agree on anything, particularly vociferously. Can you remember where that came from? Just that we... (laughs) (laughs) That we are fantastic and we use it as a supportive sort of term um, when any one of us does something amazing and... I mean, it's truly egotistical. But... So, you know, like, you know, you finish a sentence of the other person. And I think it just started with my sister being like, <laughs> DNA, because like, that's the explanation for us being so in sync. <laughs> I, when I was a child, called her Dips because the biggest and oldest dinosaur was a Diplodocus. I sign off all cards, Dips. <laughs> Damn right. Old and massive. <laughs> Thank you to Ahir and Dips. <laughs> I've really got into roasting pumpkins, because then you can also roast pumpkin seeds and have them to snack on while everything's getting ready. Like The pumpkin soups are quite good. What was better was having a job. <laughs> Thank you too to Tanita Tikram, who let us use this amazing song. Sound design is by Nick Carter at Mixonics and digital production by Charlotte Griffiths. Next week, it's the author Nick Hornby and his sister, also an author, Jill Hornby. We talk about teenage kicks, writing and being each other's load stars. Thank you too for listening. If you want to see some really sweet pictures of Ahir and Agangsha or find out more about the podcast, head to relativelypodcast.com. Please do rate and review this episode wherever you found it. It really helps others to find it too. Or you know what? You could just recommend it to your brother or sister. of love and hate Stand by the fireside Now the rain may fall Your father's calling you You still feel safe inside Only your ma's too proud Your brother's ignoring you You still feel safe inside Oh, was it solo? Was it yesterday? Was it true for you? Cause while all the rest have taken time It's didn't do Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.